may be your weighing the moral pros and cons, but let me assure you that- OH MY GOD, STUPID ME the GODDAMN FACE! WHAT ARE YOU WAITING FOR?! Welcome to episode 19 of the Analog Sticks Podcast, where this week we're shooting and looting our way through the vast world of Pandora and Borderlands 2. Let's go! Welcome to Analog Sticks. My name is Rusty. I am not joined by Cody, seeing as he's locked in a homework cave, but I've made the call to the bullpen, and joining me today is one of the voices of true oldies West Palm Beach, who just so happens to also be my uncle, Mike Balsamo. How are you doing today? Good to have Good to be here. Um, I'm impressed that I'm coming from the bullpen. What kind of specialist would I be? I don't know. I feel like you're the guy, you're, you're the Wandy Peralta, or not even. You're, you're Clay Holmes when he can't find the zone. <laughs> I could I could work with that. The unstable reliever. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I want to be a lefty powerhouse that, that looks pretty good for about eight pitches and then just gets shelled. I, I don't know if you have the thighs to be somebody like a Clay Holmes, though. That's my only concern there. My calves are way bigger. Eh, I might give you that. So today we are going to be talking about Borderlands 2. This is a game we're both somewhat familiar with, I'd say, moderately. No, of course. We, we we go way back in Borderlands 2. You taught me everything I know. Before we get into the whole conversation, I thought a preface would be good. We can go ahead and get into it, but before we do, some people may be wondering why I chose to bring you on the podcast today, and there's actually a story that goes with that. This game launched just before my 13th birthday. Believe it or not, that was a decade ago. So I was in my prime age to enjoy a game like this, and you being the cool uncle got it for me three months after my birthday. And I'd like to know, what made you think that this was a good game to get for 13-year-old me? Well, I didn't care about your age. Um, <laughs> it didn't bother me if there was some violence and some weird stuff. Um, so I, I heard about this game online, and I thought the concept looked pretty cool. And I never got into, like, Diablo or any of the other kind of looter games. So, yeah, I figured it'd be, you know, the game was great, but it'd be so much better with someone else playing with you with their own skills and stuff like that, getting to see new characters, help with bosses, because I was getting killed. So I picked it up for, I think, for maybe like 10 or 15 bucks at the time, mailed it to your house, and next thing I knew, you were way better at it than me and showing me a bunch of stuff I had no idea about. Yeah, it sounds about right. I'm sure you're going to be doing that soon with your boy. <laughs> well, I'm hopefully, hopefully he gets better you know, than me like you did at games and can actually you know, carry me. <laughs> I'm trying to remember back then. I think your first character was a Salvador. You just wanted to be the tankiest character yeah. you could find. And you still found a way to die repeatedly. It's great. Yeah, he, well, he looked awesome. Um, I don't even think I knew about how to use the special moves at that point. <laughs> I was kind of just going around, wasn't even uh, double barreling. But no, I was definitely a Salvador to begin with. But I've, I've since graduated to other styles of characters. But yeah, he was my original. I think you used zero. We used, to, uh, we used to do some pretty heavy damage. Oh, yeah. In case you guys don't know, my favorite style in any game is run up and stab it in the face or punch it as hard as you can. And at the time, this was before the DLC characters, Zero fit that niche pretty well. So I, I was thrilled to be stabbing and punching my way through. Yeah, and I was an idiot, and I'm a big sniper guy. And so I, I was basically just sitting back sniping people, not taking any damage. Not, you know, like I said, not even realizing I could use two snipers at once if I wanted. But that, that was me. And you'd go in there and do the dirty work. And I'd sit back and um, pick up loot. <laughs> that, sounds about, that sounds about like what it was when we were playing at 2 a.m. when I was 14. And she'd probably be sleeping. 
<laughs> exactly. One thing I really do want to get into with this game is the story and the characters. We already touched on two of the Vault Hunters. But without getting super spoilery and ruining the plot for somebody who hasn't played the game yet, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the actual story of this game. I know that's not your favorite part necessarily, but do you think the story holds up and does it resonate with you at all looking back? No, I think the story is great. And this is, again, like, I probably played through the game five times, you know, before you started playing with me, and I had no idea what was going on. I was, it was just out there to shoot get loot, explore every toilet bowl and, and, you know, refrigerator that I could find looking for new green weapons. Um, but yeah, once you get into it and you started to explain some of the lore to me, you know, by picking up echoes, things like that, it definitely got more interesting. And then once you, you know, you start putting it together and actually listening and hearing Handsome Jack and how, I mean, he's arguably the, you know, most entertaining protagonist in video game history, in my opinion, it, it, made the game so much better actually going through understanding what was going on not just you know fighting till i got to a big dragon yeah yeah no most definitely I, I like what you said there about jack he is one of my favorite antagonists in video games and i feel like that's a general consensus people share on the internet most of the time and this game does have incredibly deep lore as you'd also mention there's a youtuber i found a couple weeks ago eruption thang i'm gonna shout him out if you want to deep dive into the borderlands lore that's your place to go. We're not going to do that right here, though. Just a couple things I did want to talk about. Back on Jack. I, like we said, he's one of the best antagonists ever. Obviously, he's insane. He's egotistical. But he thinks he's the good guy of this story. And based on what you know about Jack, given your few playthroughs, do you think he's more so misunderstood or pure evil? Um, You could be both, right? I mean, he, I think he's that's definitely a fair pure evil. He's definitely pure evil, but... He thinks he's doing the right thing, and obviously, you know, we're just talking about Borderlands 2, but once you play the pre-sequel and kind of get a, more of a backstory on him, you realize that, you know, he's got some kind of method to his madness, and let's be honest, he's not the only person trying to take over the world in, in the Borderlands lore. He's just, you know, at the forefront of it. Um, I, I think it could be a lot of things. He, he thinks he's doing the right thing, and as you get deeper into his story, you can make a case for it. I you know, he's obviously still a murderous psychopath, and that, that's part of it, too. But, yeah, I, I think it could be both sides. Yeah, that, that's a very fair answer there. He does do some crazy stuff from, like, slagging experimentation you get to see in the game where he's basically pumping minerals into the veins of people and animals. Speaking of, he does animal cruelty, murder, uh, shoot, probably commits tax fraud if I had to guess. So Without it, a doubt. With all that in mind, if you were rating Jack on the scale of Borderlands villains, how evil would you say he is on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being the most evil. Um, Probably like an 8. I mean, there's got to be people that are worse than him. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I mean, certainly some DLC bosses that you run into are complete twisted psychopaths as well. Um, but Borderlands, you know, him being so important to the... To the story, you know, the, the, the CEO of Hyperion, you know, through that part, he's like a necessary evil both in the game and in board the Borderlands world. He's, he's integral to everything, and he shows a soft spot occasionally here and there. So I don't want to say he's the, you know, craziest person uh, running around Pandora and the surrounding areas, but he's, he's surely up there. I definitely agree with you there. If I'm comparing him to the main villains of some of the other games, I mean, I think... The what are they? The the Calypso twins in Borderlands Three. Yeah, yeah. I think their god complex is a little more scary and widespread evil compared to Jack. But 
he does definitely make a good case for some serious evil there. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, some of the other DLCs, um, you know, you run into some absolute, like the, the DLC in the uh, the Krieg DLC from BL3. I don't know if you mm-hmm. got through that one, but that guy, he's a you know, crazy doctor experimenting on people. That, that's pretty messed up too. So, <laughs> you know, Jack's not alone here being crazy. And to be honest, most of the Vault Hunters have some pretty sketchy backgrounds as well. It's not like, you know, there's really no gems of people in this story anywhere i mean i guess maybe roland and mordecai but they were you know soldiers and whack jobs in their past lives too so it's hard to hate on anybody in a game where everyone's crazy oh yeah that's that's one of the biggest things we need to touch on there you did bring up the vault hunters and a lot of times people will say that uh good heroes only as good as a villain or as their antagonist i feel you can make the same case that good antagonist is only good as as good as the protagonist so let's talk about those. The six playable Vault Hunters in this game. There's Axton, Maya, Salvador, Zero, Krieg, and Gage. Of these heroes, we've already said you've played as a Salvador, but you've evolved a little bit. Which one of them is your favorite? Not necessarily to play, I guess to play as, and why? Well, my favorite's Axton. Um, and you, there's a recurring theme through all my Borderlands playthroughs is that I need help at all times. Um, so I always find the character that has the... You know, in his case, it's a turret. I like Roland in BL1 because of his turret. I like uh, Jack in the pre-sequel because of his doppelgangers. So I need some DPS help. I need some res help. Um, But I I really just fell in love with Axton. And I know, you know, scouring Reddit or the internet, everyone's saying, you know, you you can't beat the game solo with Axton. He's, you know, one of the worst solo characters. I never found that true. And I really liked using his turret to exploit things, get it into areas where I didn't want to go. And then... You know, using guns like the Kerblaster, which, you know, with his grenade perks, you can kind of just throw the turret and start spraying Kerblaster <laughs> bullets around the room or rockets. And next thing you know, there's 50 grenades on the ground, and I'm just sitting back, relaxing and enjoying it. I, I've played some of the other Vault Hunters, too, and especially in 2, I really just stick with him. I, I, I really am not a huge fan of any of the other ones play-wise as much as I am with Accident 2. Yeah, my favorite when you're playing as Axton is we'll be doing something normal. You hear a bunch of explosions. Oh, I just blew myself up. Come res me. It, every time, <laughs> never fails. <laughs> you're the king of blowing yourself up. Yeah, I'm a big grenade damage kind of guy, and I've always got, you know, a, a lobbed bonus package or a homing bonus package, so I'm throwing those while shooting the Kablaster, and it's really, it must be annoying to play with me because there's just always 40 grenades going off in your headset. It's not as bad as my dad, who takes 20 minutes to look at every green gun. That's that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, but there, there needs to be a balance between you and him. You run straight to the objective, and your dad searches every toilet. And like, there's got to be somewhere in between here. Yeah, if it's not blue or purple, I'm not going to stop. If it's not orange, I don't care. <laughs> Just keep running. <laughs> uh, but personally, I think that all of the Vault Hunters have their merits. Like you said, I played Zero at first because, you know, melee. But when they came out with Krieg, I fell in love because he is both melee and tanky, whereas Zero is more stealthy and melee. Not necessarily big fan of stealth. I like running right in the middle of things. Blowing myself up is fine as long as I can kill everything else. And Krieg has this thing where when you get to low health and you kill something, it sends you all the way back to full health. And I, it's, it's perfect. Flawless gameplay loop. I also remember you playing briefly as a gauge, the death trap. I think I think you enjoyed that one for a little bit when the DLC characters first came out. And we were playing together. I was Krieg, you were Gage. 
Yeah, um, I, I did like Gage a lot at first, and Gage to me ended up being the one that the internet was actually right about in, I feel like past level maybe 35 or 40, it's really hard for Death Trap to get any do- anything done for you. Um, and I, like I said, I need that help. So uh, I, I liked it at first. And then, you know, as you play more and more, and you make your way into Ultimate Vault Hunter mode, Death Trap doesn't do all that much. And, you know, one thing that annoys the heck out of me is the animation when you launch Death Trap. It takes up the whole screen and blocks your screen for a second. And I just never like that. And that's something even with Moe's and BL3, I can't get over the... You know, when you fire off Iron Bear and she has to hop in it, it's like a second of just involuntary movement. You can't see anything. And that ended up turning me off of her, too. At first, she's great being able to just send that thing out and do some damage. But, you know, after a while, it's like, oh, man, like this thing's not really resing me. It's not killing anything. I'm kind of on my own here. Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. That, That does make it a little less fun when you're just getting your ass kicked repeatedly. How familiar would you say you are with the backstories of these characters? Obviously, we've seen some of them explored more so in BL3, particularly Krieg and Maya, and Zero as well. Uh, maybe 35 40% of probably what I should know, <laughs> considering how many hours I have in this game. Yeah, no, that's, that's all right. It's understood. But based on what you do know, with Axton going into modeling after <laughs> the events of Borderlands 2, Maya doing all her crazy siren stuff, I think Salvador doesn't have, like, anything after the game. He's probably just presumed going back home and shooting stuff. And then Zero with all his Atlas ties, Krieg wrestling himself, and I think Gage gets something in the DLC as well. I'm not entirely sure. Or maybe Gage is a party planner for, um, what's-her-name's wedding, Hammerlock, and, uh, who's the other guy? And Jacobs. Um, yeah, Wainwright. Wainwright, Wainwright. She's the um, she's the wedding planner. So you get to see her again. Krieg has his own DLC, so you really get to explore him. I think Salvador may have popped up a little bit in a DLC, um, like a DLC, not a story DLC, but a playing mode for BL3, but I never got the second round of DLCs, but I think that's him and Axton that do some voiceovers there. But yeah, your boy Zero kind of fades into nothing. You don't, you don't hear anything from him anymore. Yeah, it's tough. After his whole thing with Reese, they do that, and then it's kind of nothing. But based on what we do know as far as the backstories of these characters and what we do see out of them personality-wise, if you're to rank them one to six, who's at the top, who's at the bottom? I'd love to hear this. Personality-wise? Personality, backstory, future story, whatever you think. On your opinions, of course. Um... Geez, that's tough. Wasn't expecting to get in that deep. I would probably, you have to go Maya as the most in-depth. I mean, being a siren and, you know, everything that goes along with that. Maya has to be the, you know, the deepest character. I would say Axton second, maybe just because I like him so much. But, you know, something about, you know, him being like the former warrior and, and you know, his his ties into that kind of worked for me. Um, Gage has a kind of enticing story as well, being... I, think that death trap was like a science project that she put together and yeah and like now she's out you know killing killing the world with it zero i think for his anonymity and like the mystique behind him helps even though you may not know that much about him the fact that you want to makes him an intriguing character i'll put him fourth and who's gonna be last um i don't know between krieg and salvador i mean (laughs) yeah i guess krieg has to be fifth then and salvador would be last i mean 
Salvador really all he does is grunt and fire off, you know, double rocket launchers. That's pretty much the depth I feel like we get of Salvador. Um, Krieg, maybe, yeah, maybe I should have had him a little bit higher, but you know, I wasn't in love with Krieg. And as you play through two, especially, and don't get into the later games, he's really just a mutated psycho. <laughs> that's that's what he is. And he, you know, he's not, not many voices. But, I mean, all you hear is uh, salt the flesh and stuff like that. I mean, he's a little one-dimensional. <laughs> Meat bicycles and all that fun stuff. <laughs> exactly. Based on what I know about the lore, I don't want to dive too deep into it, but they really do flesh out Krieg quite a bit. They give him like a whole big backstory on how he became the way he is, wrestling with himself. Zero has that same kind of mysterious story, like you're saying. Salvador's basically some Hyperion guys showed up, he killed them, and it's like, that sounds like fun, vault hunting. <laughs> and then Maya, there's the whole thing. She came from the planet she went back to expose the corrupt government there's that whole thing and axton has like the hero complex where he literally put troops in danger to save them or whatever and that's always a fun thing <laughs> i don't yeah, have to dive I, we could talk about the vault hunters themselves probably for the whole length of this episode i don't think we have all that much time it'd be cool but uh nobody's gonna listen that long yeah, one I'm last group of characters that i want to talk on are the npcs and there are a ton of very well-written side characters in this game from crazy earl to marcus to tina to tanis to scooter with all that mind with all that in mind give me all of your opinions on claptrap claptrap is probably my favorite thing ever in the borderlands universe and i i feel like i'm probably in the minority in that sense i i get almost personally annoyed when I see people online talk about how annoying Claptrap is, Claptrap's not annoying. He is the best. And, you know, your introduction to him as you start the game, he's like the, you know, they go back and they talk about how much they hate uh, Navi from Zelda games and things like that, like your companion and the person kind of getting you into the game. Whereas I thought Claptrap was the perfect entity to bring the Borderlands world to you. And not only that, he's freaking hilarious. And I love everything that he does. Yeah, Claptrap for me, like it, I'm not a Funko Pop guy or any of that, but if I was gonna get a Funko Pop, it'd be Claptrap. I, I need one of those on my desk. I have one on my desk. That's how I feel about Claptrap. It's great. <laughs> one the of the great things they do with him is they make him one of the most sad characters you will ever come across, delivered in the most positive way ever. And it's, the comedy that comes out of that is unrivaled, and it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> Everything about it. <laughs> On top of that is unwavering uh, confidence. Despite being unable to really do anything, you know, the entire game, he's bossing you around as his minion, and he's the one doing all the work. It's, it's, he's perfectly written, like Jack. I mean, I, I don't think the game would be the same without Claptrap, and it, I, I can't believe that people don't like him. Yeah, no, the uh, the whole annoying robot. I mean, I understand where they're coming from in the sense that I guess if you had to sit in a room with that, it'd get annoying after a little while. But as comic relief, he does very well. I have no Dogs complaints Dogs are pretty annoying, too. Dogs are fairly annoying. I'm a cat guy. My cat is annoying as hell. I love him, and I want him around for his annoyingness. And I wish I could get a claptrap in real life that would follow me around and make me carry him up the stairs and stuff. And he might open a door every now and then. He'll probably get his finger jammed in it too. But eh, that's the fun of it. I go to his birthday party. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah, I forget where when it was. There was some lore with Claptrap where everybody shits on him because if his ego gets too big, then he gets all rampagey. Yes. I don't know. There's some crazy stuff behind it. Anyways, are you familiar with my burns? 
With what? The the story burns I do on this podcast. I know you don't listen to it because why would you? It's not that good. But <laughs> for every game we cover, if there is a story, I write a burn to quickly summarize it before we move on. All I have sure, to ask you now is, are you ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. All right. After being dumped onto a glacier like that old bag of cauliflower in the back of the freezer, we're joined by the most annoying robot since the C-3PO and tasked with making our way to the most dreary sanctuary imaginable. Upon arrival, we heat things up with the Firehawk and roll out to save Roland. Once we've gotten the band back together, we can finally plot our revenge against the handsome devil, and after taking out his guardian angel, things begin to look bleak for our merry band of mercenaries. But we power through and stop the mad lad and his warrior to keep Pandora from crumbling. Well, kinda. Perfect, man. Very impressed. So, How long yeah, did that take to write? Uh, about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up a list of story missions to make sure I wasn't going to miss anything and then moved on. So yeah, that's basically me summarizing the story without spoiling everything. You did a great job. And with that being said, now I'd like to move on to what makes the story so good in my opinion, and that is the writing. As much as I'd like to talk about every character deuces this time again, and there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, and... This game's just over a decade old now. It had its 10th birthday last month, two months ago, somewhere around there. And at the time of its release, people really praised the writing and a lot of the inappropriate, profane jokes, the toilet humor, and just the cheap laughs it would get. But in the years since, people criticize it for being the cheapest, lowest common denominator humor at times. And do you agree with that fact, or do you still enjoy the cheap laughs as much as you did when you first played the game? No, I love it. And, and I never really thought it was cheap laughs. I mean... All the dialogue in the game is very well written, and it sets things up perfectly. And that's, you know, I don't want to compare this to South Park or anything, but anybody can, you know, they're on South Park's political commentary and, you know, one of the most brilliant shows ever made. But anyone can look at South Park and watch an episode and say that was all fart jokes. But if you actually know what's going on there, it's extremely intelligent. And there, there's a lot more than just a facade of fart jokes and whereas in borderlands it's fart jokes mixed with gore mixed with all kinds of uh you know wacky characters like psychos and stuff and blowing each other up and that the enemy design that you'll see so i think it takes skill to put that together and people that have played borderlands one i you know they can love the game if they want but it just it doesn't have that to it it doesn't have that it's, it's a very dark game whereas borderlands 2 is more fun and upbeat because of the way that the humor is, and I, I think they nailed it. I mean, Claptrap himself, as we were saying, is the epitome of that. He says, you might think that I'm happy about this, but I'm actually quite sad. The only reason I'm talking like this is because my programmers only program me to have a happy voice. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that's brilliant. It's so good. And another thing I can really praise with the writing is the way that they continue jokes, and it's not just they make one cheap joke and then that's the end of it. Like, take Butt Stallion, for instance. A diamond pony that Jack purchases just to flex that he's wealthy appears multiple times and is sets up for a lot of really good jokes over the course of the story, and it's not just like a one-off thing. And just ugh, there's there's so many good running gags that they do. I think that's what makes a show like South Park, for instance, so good. Yes, the jokes are good in a vacuum, but if you zoom out a little bit, the way that they feed on each other makes it even better, in my opinion. There's, there's without a doubt. And that's what we talked about with the character development, too. Like you may not learn a lot about Hammerlock in the first game. He's kind of like the first NPC you are doing missions for and stuff like that. But as you continue the series, he's an ongoing character. He keeps coming back to you. And I, I think, yeah, they do a great job of tying the writing together constantly and 
playing a new game, you kind of, you know you're going to see old characters. You don't know when, you don't know who it's going to be, but you're excited for it. More importantly, you don't know what they're going to be doing, and it could be anything. <laughs> yeah, that you could be fighting them. You know, you could be trying to kill them. Um, and we've seen that before, too, throughout the series, where a playable character becomes somebody that you have to kill. <laughs> so, it's you know, they, they do a good job of, of keeping you on your toes, especially with the characters. It's really good the way they do that. Another thing that I think goes really good with this is that it's not just a vehicle for the gameplay. It is its own independent thing, which is why I think that the Borderlands movie, is that is that still going? Did they cancel that? I don't know. I feel like it was pretty the, deep in production. Twitter, I heard the Twitter page hasn't had an update in like 18 months. Like something really bad. It's in post-production. Everything's shot, but who knows where they're at with it. I, I feel like it could be good because the narrative is always good in a Borderlands game. But another thing that's usually pretty good is the actual gameplay itself. This game, like any any first-person sh- it controls like any other first-person shooter, but instead of just mindlessly blowing people's brains out, there's also a ton of RPG elements. Each character has their own independent skill tree. There's a leveling system, the seemingly arbitrary badass ranks, and most importantly, there's that massive loot pool we've mentioned a couple times with all sorts of crazy weapons, shields, grenades, and modifiers that make the gameplay more immersive. Now, I know that what keeps you playing more than anything is the actual loot, not necessarily the story, but What's your favorite aspect of this game, and why would you say it is that loot system? Yeah, it's it's a very um, well, you know, going back to it being you know first person shooter. I love first person shooters. The problem is I'm terrible at them, and I can't begin to hop on a Call of Duty lobby and you know hope to not have a three forty kill death ratio. It, it's it's bad. <laughs> so it made it made the genre more accessible to me, playing kind of a cartoony game a little bit in a sense I, I was a huge halo fan and i know that the halo heydays are kind of before you were around but i played halo for hours and hours and it was kind of cartoony you're using laser guns and stuff like that opposed to what 95 percent of shooters at the time were was bullets you know boots on the ground using ak-47 and stuff like that so i really like that aspect i like that if i find a gun and one of the first things i told your dad is you can't just look at the stats on a gun you have to use it because it might shoot flaming pumpkins that move two feet per second. It might shoot a spinny laser beam. You really don't know what you're getting until you mess around with it for a while and see if it works for you. So that, that for me, the, the, the fact that I keep coming back and here's a new gun and it's, oh my God, it's orange. I only have one other orange gun. Oh, but this gun sucks. <laughs> but here's a blue that I found that I absolutely love. And I think you're not going to find two people that love all the same guns. People will rave about one gun and I'll hate it. And then I'll show them a purple and they're like, who uses purples? Well, I do. I love this gun. So the fact that you really never know what you're going to find in that game makes it so much more interesting to me. I That's very eloquently said. I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that all that radio experience coming to fruition. But <laughs> yeah. the loot and, system. And now is... I'm, talking about, uh, I'm talking about stuff I like as opposed to oldies music. So that's always fun. Hey, hey, Rolling Stones have some merits, I'd say. <laughs> no, yes, they do. With that loot system, like you're saying, there's so many unique weapons that aren't just AK-47s, like you're saying. I mean, you have stuff like the Kerblaster, which shoots grenades, but not like a grenade launcher. It shoots grenade bullets that explode. And then there's also stuff like the laser guns in the pre-sequel, and all sorts of different crazy sniper rifles. And like, there's the, I think... I forget what it was. I found some legendary sniper rifle in orange a while back. And I'm like, oh, I got this really cool sniper rifle. Look at how much damage it does. It didn't have a scope. 
<laughs> so you yeah, couldn't and, aim it. It's like, oh, oh they definitely, yeah, they, they set you, there's some of the weapons are gags almost. Like, have oh. fun using this gun. But then there's stuff like the infinity pistols where it's just like, this, is, this isn't even fair. <laughs> no, they, they do a great job with that. And that's, you know, depending on your play style, certain legendaries are not good for you. And you might be better off with a purple or a blue that plays the way you like to play. I'm terrible and I, you know, I'm going to miss a lot. So even like rocket launchers in that game, some people swear by them. I'm not good at hitting people with them unless I'm really close. And that goes back to the blowing myself up. Like I think like you <laughs> mentioned that I do quite often, but you know, I, I seem to, to find my way with, you know, high magazine and high bullets in general. Another reason I like Axe and he's got bullet regeneration, things like that to keep my play style, to working for my play style. And that's kind of why I flock to characters like that because they always seem to have the perks that I need to do the most damage and to hang with better players like you instead of wasting everyone's time and going down every, you know, two minutes. I mean, you still do that, but at least you're still causing explosions that can kill some stuff in the meantime. Personally, one of my favorite moves is to take one of those rocket launchers that you you say you blow yourself up with when you do go down because there is a second wind feature where... You don't instantly die if you get if your health bar goes to zero. You you crawl around like you would in Call of Duty Zombies, and you basically have a set timer where if you kill something, you come back up. I would take the rocket launcher when I'm in the the down state and just aim at the ground and shoot whatever's in front of me and hope for the best. And there's so many different play styles like that that work really well, and it creates a unique experience for everybody. And I think that's something that you don't see in a lot of other games, like a Call of Duty, for instance, and other than all like the loot and the different guns, how would you say the mechanics of this game compared to a more realistic first-person shooter like a Call of Duty or even a Halo, for instance? I think for that time period, they were phenomenal. I, I don't think that there was games doing it better than they were, and I think that's why it works. I think that's why it's built this massive fan base over the last you know 14 years or whatever since Borderlands 1 came out because you do feel like you're playing a first-person shooter. It's not some wonky you know, uh, wonky game where you can't aim and you're kind of just shooting at the wall and hoping that, you know, hoping that stuff sticks. It's still a really good game. And then once you get to Borderlands 3, it's like, wow, this game is fantastic as a first-person shooter. So they've, they're not skimping on the engine here for by any means or, or the gameplay. That's that's one of the things that brings me back. If I, if I didn't enjoy the actual running around and shooting, I, I wouldn't play it just for loot. Yeah, no, see, my dad, on the other hand, could sit there, oh, there's a loot system, I'm going to put 200 hours into this game, even though it's absolute garbage. As far as oh, the no, looter no. aspect of this game, though, how would you say something like the loot pool compares to something like one of those massive games like World of Warcraft or anything else with a super big loot pool? Like, maybe even another shooter looter like Destiny. I don't know if you've dabbled with that at all. I've played more Destiny than I have WoW. Um, but one thing I'll say is the loot pool is overwhelming. <laughs> in Borderlands, I feel like. Um, by the time you get to Borderlands 3, you they're dropping legendaries every five seconds. It's not the case in the earlier games. And you might get one legendary a playthrough, especially early on. So that was really fascinating to me. And then, you know, once you got good at it and you're showing me some websites to check out and see, like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this, you know, I didn't realize there's 14 legendary sniper rifles. I figured there was two, you know, and <laughs> even, you know, going down to the whites and purples and blues and greens, you know, there's dozens, you know, dozens of guns with hundreds of, of variants. So to me, the Borderlands loot pool was always really deep. And anytime I'd start up a new character, there's guns I'm looking for, you know, guns that I like, like say a conference call, but 
I'm finding guns I've never used before, and I'm finding them very viable. And that's one of the another reason that keeps me coming back, because I know every playthrough is going to be totally different. I'm not just going to be able to go to one spot and get the gun that I want, especially early on. And because I didn't really know what farming was either. I was kind of just stumbling around like an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, once you learn to farm, then it, the game kind of changes a little bit. There's a, a whole different aspect. But to me, the loot pool was always perfect. Um, especially, I mean, a game like Destiny is a little more involved. And, you know, I haven't really played WoW. But to me, it was, I, I, I'll say perfect, but at the same time, a little overwhelming. I can see that. For me, the variations do make it a little bit tougher. I mean, shoot, even going back to your most recent playthroughs, I'm sure that you haven't gone past Boom Boom without picking up a homing bonus package. It's like, oh, there's a bonus package. Oh, it's a lobbed bonus package. Womp womp. Moving on. Not Yep, selling it. <laughs> selling it. Not even going to use it. You need the homing to make sure you don't miss like you were saying earlier. But the fact that they have like a massive loot pool as it is with hundreds, if not thousands of guns. I don't know how many are in this game. I haven't looked it up. Each of the more, each of the legendary guns, the orange, even probably some of the blues, they all have different variations where they do slightly different things that can cater to all those different play styles. And I played a lot of World of Warcraft when I was younger, for instance, and that was not the case in that game. The flavor text wasn't nearly as interesting, and if that was if there was any. And then each gun or each weapon you were using controlled like a battle axe or a sword or a mm -hmm. bow. Everything was the same, just the numbers are different, and it might have an elemental ability attached to this one. And I think that this makes this game a lot better than something like that, for instance. Even little, little things like you said, like a scope, you might find, you know, maybe I've had 15 conference calls and all of them are viable, you know, and then you get one that has like a, a 4X magnifying scope. Like, I can't even use this. This is a shotgun. Like, why would you do this to me? I, I, I don't want a scope at all. Um, so I thought that was cool, too. Like, you see the gun, you see, first you see a yellow on the, I mean, an orange on the ground. So your heart starts to race. Then you get closer, you see what it is and your heart starts to pound. Then when you actually go to use it, because you really still don't know what you're getting and it may be completely unusable or it may be the best version of that gun you've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, that's another one of those things you said you weren't grinding for a long time. I know in more recent years, especially once my dad got into the game, he's big on the grinding, and he'll fight the same boss for hours on end. It's mind-numbing to watch, and it's more mind-numbing to do. I don't know how he does it. But this is one of those things where, with those bosses, they can each drop different loots, of course. Like, Boom Boom, for instance, drops the homing package. Do you think that the bosses in this game, with the, each of their individual loot pools, overall, I don't want to go into each and every one of them, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the bosses kind of as a whole? Well, what's one of the things that hooks me on this game when you first start playing is the graphic when you, when you run into a boss. And I thought it was so cool, like the first time you run into Boom Boom or Bad Ma, one of like the first bosses you're going to see in the game, Everything stops, and it's like this cut scene with the boss kind of frozen, but but moving slightly at the same time. It'll have a, it'll introduce the boss, make a funny quip about them, and I thought that was just different. Like from the games I'd played, like Halo before that, it's so much more serious, and they would never do something like that. And you play Borderlands, it's so tongue in cheek. I thought the delivery of the bosses was maybe my favorite part about the bosses in general, and then the fact that most of them, if you don't know what you're doing, like. You should plan to die the first time you face a boss. Unless you're really over-leveled, they're going to have some kind of mechanic you're not familiar with or, you know what I mean, your, your weapons you have aren't going to be right for it. And you're going to have to, okay, like, 
I just got my butt kicked. Either I need to call my nephew and have him come help, or I need to reassess what I'm doing here. But everyone was fair in the end. And no, I think the boss layout's perfect. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things you're talking about. It's not quite like a Souls game or anything, but each boss will have unique attacks where you have to learn what you're doing. And if you don't know, you're not just going to stumble your way through it. You're going to have to learn their attack patterns and make it work. Like the first boss, for instance, Boom Boom, they have this giant... I don't even know what you... Could you call it a turret? It's just a big gun that they sit in. And if yeah. you get hit by the big gun, you are going to die. You have to find shelter and figure out, like, windows in between the shots to shoot, or else you are going to get killed. And I think something like that makes everything more aging so much. I know that you can't get past the exploration and stuff like that. Some of the backtrack is a little tough. But you do have to learn the bosses and actually master each one in order to progress past it. And then you can farm it 400 times for a homing bonus package. Well, you know, I, I grew up on Mega Man, the Nintendo version. And that's what Mega Man was. You, you know, you'd get to the boss, and that was the... It was hard enough just to get to the boss, but then every single boss is going to be different, and you've accumulated weapons before that. Like, what weapon do I use on this guy? This was before the internet. It was trial and error, man. You know, and you died a lot. There may and... be a hint in the instruction manual, but that's the most you'll get. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was hints on the, in, the, in the schoolyard, you know what I mean? Like, uh, some fourth grader would tell you about using Razor Man's weapon, whatever it was. But, you know, you, you were going into these things preparing to die. And I like that about Borderlands. Like, like I said, I'm going to die on level at least the first time, probably. If you're four levels below the boss, you're probably getting smoked. So you've got to prepare. You've got to be on level. And you've got to have weapons that are going to do the correct damage, especially later. You know, I was never big in the elemental play because I never got too far. But once you get into the, you know, ultimate Vault Hunter and stuff like that, if you're not playing with correct elements on your weapons, it's not going to be fun. I mean, you're going to get your, your butt kicked a lot. Yeah, you're trying to burn a, uh, what are they, a loader? That's not going to go well. You're trying to no, corrode a psycho? Good luck. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just stuff like that. All the RPG elements, stuff like elements, for instance, I feel like they kind of go, not by the wayside, because they are heavily used, but they go unappreciated a little more than they would in something like a true turn-based RPG, like a Pokemon or something like that. But I think they are a very big part of this game, and one of the things do make it so great. As far as other underused abilities or RPG elements, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's also like the shields, which are the closest thing we get to armor. They don't get like full sets. You can do some character customization and stuff like that. There's also stuff like the badass ranks. I'd love to touch on that real quick. What are your thoughts on this? Basically, for playing the game, you can accumulate milestones where it's like, oh, you shot 500 psychos in the head. Now you get a badass point. Do you think that that adds to the gameplay enough, or do you think that's a system that they should have maybe fleshed out more? Um, you know, I think for someone like, you know, you're a completionist, and I'm pretty sure you've platinum this game before. I've never had the, the drive to platinum games. Just It's just not what I'm going to do. Um, so for me, it was fine. Like, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who likes to play GTA for a few months and then go check my stats. Oh, crap, I've been arrested 40 times. I've <laughs> crashed a helicopter six times. So I love the fact that, like, I didn't even probably know, realize what badass ranks were until I was playing the game for a year. <laughs> so then to be able to go through and see all these cool stats, like, oh, I've sniped 15 dudes um, while airborne. Little things like that. You're just like, I didn't, like, I wasn't counting this. I had no idea you were counting this either. But it's super cool that, that you're doing it. Like I said, not a, not a completionist, so it didn't matter that, you know, I needed to, you know, run over uh, 40 more bandits with the, with the um, you know, with a, uh, what's, you know, vehicle or something like that. 
I was just out there to have fun. And, you know, every month or two, you check back in and say, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Look what I did. And then you have 4,000 badass points you have to redeem, each of them giving you a 0.2% multiplier, 0.02% multiplier to your reload speed or something. I think it's a nice... I do think... What were you saying? I was going to say, they, they never end. Um, so even like when you, like, I know, I think at a certain point, like you're getting 0.0001%, but like you, <laughs> if you kept playing forever, you can keep going up. Like they, there's no cap on it. So that, that was kind of a cool touch too. Yeah. Stuff like that's just so neat. I think it's a really nice way to reward players for doing stuff like that instead of something a little bit different, instead of something different, like. I'm trying to think bad examples of completion rewards. Like Breath of the Wild, when you get all 900 Korok seeds, I don't know if you know this, you literally get a golden piece of shit as your reward. I think it's oh, yeah, a it's nice little thing to reward players for doing absurd challenges, because not all the stuff is just stuff you're going to stumble into while you're playing the game. Some of it's very specific. Like, kill a skag with your vehicle upside down, for instance. And yeah, it's, it's like absurd stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, for me, it added to it, too, because you can tailor what you put the points into. So I love uh, fire rate, reload speed, and grenade damage. So I'm just stacking those, you know, every kind of perk I can get. Elemental damage, stuff like that, maximum health, I never touched. So I was able to just stack what I like to do. And, you know, the reason you're playing Borderlands is to be OP as hell and be able to destroy everything. And through that system, you're allowed to increase your ability to destroy everything and be OP as hell in the areas you want. That's another thing. One thing I feel like makes the progression in this game feel so rewarding is the fact that the better you get, the more is happening on screen. Like you, for instance, will throw out two or three homing bonus packages with an eight multiplier where they do the mini grenades, and then you've got your turret out shooting all sorts of stuff, also throwing grenades. It is chaos on the screen. I'm shocked the PS4 is capable of running it. And it just feels like, oh yeah, this is, I, I am good at this. And that's an awesome feedback that you can get that way. Oh, you know, I'd, I'd be playing with you and your dad as a, as a, as a threesome group. And yeah, I, I'd throw all 12 bonus packages, throw my turret and go to the bathroom and come back and see what happened. And just hope you guys are still alive. Yeah, sometimes we would be, sometimes we wouldn't. I'd probably be at the end of the <laughs> level by then. <laughs> just exactly. running through. Ugh. Do you have anything else you're dying to get off your chest about Borderlands? Any opinions you just need to let out? I do have one, and I know that this is semi-controversial these days, but... Go for it. Man, Borderlands pre-sequel is just as good as Borderlands 2, if not better. And I know that that's blasphemy in most Borderlands circles. If Borderlands the pre-sequel had the end game that Borderlands 2 has, I'd say it's a better game. I think they took everything that I liked from Borderlands. It might be a little shorter, but the... The characters and their skill trees and the zero grav getting rid of slag, which was my most hated thing about Borderlands 2. I think pre-sequel is a masterpiece, and it's my favorite in the series. And I know I'm probably the only person in the world who thinks that, but uh, no, pre-sequel is where it's at. Pre-sequel had Krieg, I'd probably agree with you, but it doesn't, so I can't say that I do. <laughs> also, I, I hate Jack. running out of oxygen. I love playing as Jack, so <laughs> yeah, it happens, you know what I mean? Play Slap Trap, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I can get over it. It'll be all right. I still did enjoy that game better than one. I think one's too clunky, in my opinion. Fight me on that. Even with the remastered versions, it's still clunky. You know, yeah. it, it 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 doesn't have a lot of the quality of life upgrades and things like that. Um, I, I look at pre-sequel as just a massive DLC for BL2. 
And I, I enjoy it more like that than if I was someone who paid 60 bucks on launch and felt kind of gypped. I think we actually did get that game on launch, and you probably did get gypped, if that makes you feel any better. Oh, no, no, I, I buy everything for 20 bucks as game of the year, you know what I mean? I remember, I, you, I remember having a pre-order for that game that I most certainly didn't pay for when I was, like, 14, so... <laughs> could have been me, could have been me. I think that might have been a Christmas present or something like that. Probably, and I think we were both blasting faces. It was a good time. Anyways, I'm not going to hold you hostage any longer. Thank you very much for your time. That'll wrap up this week's episode of the Analog Sticks Podcast. If you listening could like, comment, rate, review, follow, subscribe, engage in any way, I'd appreciate it. For myself, Rusty Nails, as well as my co-host for the day, Mike Balsamo, thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.